welcome back to episode number eight of the Slap the Ask show. Today we don't have any guests, but it will be Jimmy and I talking about market updates, what's happened the last week, what to look forward to, what we've been buying, and uh, let's get the show started. Yeah, you know, Luke, I've actually missed just talking to you one-on-one. <laughs> we, uh, we haven't had our, our personal time together, so it's nice to get this conversation rolling again. Yeah, I haven't missed it too much, but I guess it's good to have. I'll say you're so far away, just upstairs. It's hard to have one-on-one conversations when you're about 25 feet away. That's true. But we'll get to it. Um, First, I want to start off talking a lot about macro trends in the economy. I think the biggest thing that people are talking about is the Federal Reserve projecting that they'll be raising rates in 2023 and how they upped their inflation projection from 2.4% to 3.4% for 2021. Right. Um, I just find it very funny how, you know, the Dow had the worst week it had since October of 2020. And it's purely because of the fear that the Fed will raise rates in 2023. So it just shows how the market is not really driven by fundamentals, right? It's driven by Federal Reserve liquidity injections. Yeah, or you could, or you could even say that it's driven by fear. Because, I mean, Jerome Powell said basically in 2023, they suggested that they're going to raise the rates in like two different methods. I don't know exactly how it was. So why would it affect the stock market this week? Like, what's the rationale? Purely fear? Well, I guess, you know, the stock market is uh, present value of future earnings, right? Their news that earnings will be worse, or you know, the cost of capital will be worse, make things more expensive to borrow, could limit growth, particularly for the tech companies that rely on cheap uh, capital to fund their operations. So, I mean, I could see how it would be a negative impact, like how the increased rate fear could have a negative impact initially. But you know, you really dig to the the, the like the the beans, the meat and potatoes of everything. Um, the market's not really a fundamental basis of value anymore. You know, it's purely driven by Federal Reserve liquidity. Um, one thing yeah. I find so funny, oh, sorry, what were you saying? No, I was just saying, like, if you look back for what uh, it closed on uh, Friday, yesterday, I mean, the Dow closed down 533 points, S&P closed down 55, NASDAQ closed down 130 points. So, I mean, pretty significant drop for, I feel like, news that we were expecting. More yeah less. well I, I think a lot of the economists also live in la la land you know there's this big uh push that inflation we're experiencing right now is purely transitory it's because of lack of supply due to the coronavirus and the demand outpacing the supply um which yeah. is i think you know true i think that is definitely causing prices to increase across the board but uh to say it's going to be a short-term thing, I think, is unrealistic, and I think we can see why uh, the Fed increased their inflation projection and why they're talking about increasing rates in 2023 is because um, they have to combat the inflation in some capacity. Uh, one of the ways is right. to have higher rates. Yeah. Um, a small problem today is a bigger problem tomorrow, basically. Yeah, totally. Leaves unaddressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, inflation, on the grand scheme of things, it's really hurts the like the middle class and the lower class right if you're wealthy inflation is kind of a good thing you almost you can have take on a lot more debt that's a lot cheaper you can be super leveraged 
or you just buy a bunch of uh, business expenses and then write them off. That's another yeah. good strategy. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, your purchasing power is still high. You know, the middle and lower classes are the ones who really suffer because their purchasing power. Your wages are not going to increase, but your purchasing power is going to diminish, and that's going to really hurt you. Right. So I guess let's talk about some of the uh, Nasdaq plays that we've been making the past week or so. I know uh, you and I, or at least I did, I got into LCI a little bit, which we found out was actually a Philadelphia-based company. <laughs> and shout out, Philly. But uh, uh, shout out to uh, Trader Evil on Twitter. He's been having a lot of good calls lately. But uh, he put me onto that. He had a call the previous week. I can't remember what it was on. RMED. RMED, and that ran like, I think it ran up like $3 or something. Um, but yeah, LCI, I got in... Uh, like sub five and mm -hmm. ended up running to like 568 and I ended up playing that like three times throughout the day so I think that was a big one also it's down out it's done down under five but uh AHT I think you were playing right yeah that's a good one uh reopening like um one thing I find interesting about AHT is everyone kind of looks at the, the stock price being like oh the price you know is significantly lower than what it was before coronavirus but People also neglect to mention how they cut the dividend, how they actually issued more shares, and how the market cap's actually at a super high level compared to what it used to be. I still like the play. I think the CEO's on Twitter, and he's like shouting out Zach Morris and shit. He's so like, he's a cool dude. Um, I think hotels are going to do very well this summer. I mean, everyone wants to travel. How can you blame them? Um, but I also think the there is an unrealistic expectation with the stock like people call them for 20 i think that's like unrealistic um you know that would put the value of the company at almost like 3.7 billion dollars which would be rather significant a REIT not paying a dividend that's like the that you only have to invest in REITs for dividends or that's the major reason for it so i don't know why uh people would want to buy a REIT that doesn't pay a dividend but i like the stock i think it's going to do well um I think like, you know, over seven is a good place for it to be. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of big names run it too. So it was just every, you know, everyone's posting about it and tweeting about it and whatnot, but it's got a lot of happens. See what yeah. happens. AMC uh, still looking good. Yeah. What did, what did AMC even close that? I didn't even see. Like 59 on Friday. 59. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really good. I mean, it was at like what? 14 bucks. Like, I don't even know. Well, yeah, I remember Jester was like showing us uh, the technicals of AMC and how he would trade it. And it's funny, it's like, it's actually like the way it looks, it's the like dummy's guide to technical trading. It's actually like hysterical how accurate it is. If you look at the chart and just the supports and resistance and everything like that, it's it's to a T. And Jester well, job demonstrating it, it's still maintaining that trading pattern. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where whenever a stock is so highly promoted, all these people are buying and buying and buying in. Everyone's saying it's going to run to like, you know, hundred dollars. Some people saying thousands for whatever reason. <laughs> um, but when people buy at the top and then the people who got in early start selling, it starts dropping. People try to recoup their losses. And then people like Jester or technical traders start shorting it. And they end up doing better than the people who are, you know, holding no matter what. Yeah, well, I think Jester's playing it great. Like he's doing both sides. He's longing it when it hits support and he's shorting at resistance and things like that. And that's how you really do well 
um, trading, you know, you don't have to always long, you don't always have to short, you can kind of play both sides of the, the coin. And uh, it seems like that's what the successful ones do. Right. I think uh, another big thing we could talk about, not stock related, is just uh, uh, supply chain. And especially in America, post-COVID, I think now we're starting to see a lot of the repercussions from the, uh, the factory shutting down in uh, March, April of 2020. And now, like, when you look at, you know, lumber prices, pretty much anything, you know, mm-hmm. now it's really expensive. And I thought it was interesting, though, because lumber dropped, I think prices dropped, uh, like, I don't remember what it was. It was like 50% for the first time. So we're finally starting to see a little bit of recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think we're finally getting over the hump? Or do you think we're still going to see these shortages for a few uh, months? Yeah, we're still going to see. I, I anticipate we're going to have shortages for many months to come um it's funny like i don't know i think two weeks ago my car just shit the bed i had to get my water pump uh replaced and uh so the belt in the engine that like you know turns and makes the thing go um cost like 600 bucks to get that stuff replaced whatever but i was just like looking up new cars or i use cars um oh, yeah, that's another shortage. yeah 2009 2010 i have a corolla right now from 2009 it's got like 230,000 miles so it's on Celeste legs anyway. But people are asking, you know, like over 10 grand for these used Corollas from like 2010, 2011. Like it's insane. It's actually insane how expensive these cars are. Yeah. And also new cars. New cars are like insanely priced too. I saw this one video. This guy, he bought like a 2020 Ford like F250 pickup truck, right? Put like 25,000 miles on it. He bought it for 73,000. Guess what the trade in value was on that? 75,000? 71. That's he only like, lost two grand after putting like 20,000 miles on it. It's not bad. Pretty cheap 20,000 miles. Crazy. Well, I mean, even in like the, uh, the real estate industry or construction industry, like I'm in, like I had this project and we're doing uh, like plumbing street tie-ins to the apartment building. And the uh, subcontractor couldn't get the uh, pipe fittings for the plumbing connection for like another three weeks. He said, they're all sold out. He said every single provider he could not get it from. So it, it's really everything at this point. Um, so, I mean, we'll see what happens, but hopefully these factories are working overtime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everyone wants to mitigate the supply chain issues. It's just uh, the backlog seems to be still very strong. You know, missing essentially a year of production or at least close to it is very, very bad, <laughs> to say the least. Um, let's move into uh, some OTC tickers. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so OTC, it seems like uh, GVSI had a decent week. I know George Sharp uh, tweeted out some news about him. Like, he had an issue with the previous management still being, like, in his face with a uh, custodianship of it. I think he now has official control. 100% totally. Um, so that's good. It yeah. appears that they'll probably move in some sort of company into that ticker in the near future. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw LTNC hit a multi-month low. A lot of people were tweeting about that. But, mm-hmm. I mean, it ended up closing up like 11% on Friday. So, yeah. Um, 
VNU, VNUE closed down like 6%, but I think it found pretty significant support around a little over a penny. So see what happens there. Uh, another big one, okay, not not OTC, but Pen Gaming. They closed down a little bit, and Portnoy had some drama on Twitter. Oh, yeah, suspended. Yeah. <laughs> um, the thing about Pen Gaming, I wonder, because uh, Hindenburg Research came out with a short report on DraftKings. Mm-hmm. And oh, that's, that's one thing I wanted to talk about, yeah. Yeah, they basically called it like a scam and how they deal with the black market. Um, I didn't really look through the report too thoroughly, but I've always used DraftKings. They seem fine. Um, I was never concerned about, you know, giving my money to a scammy entity. But I have to assume that that short report kind of probably brought down the entire sector. Um, that's why Penn is suffering. I mean, Penn, it, it, it's still so high from the pandemic lows, but it's definitely pulled back rather significant from its uh, all-time high. I think it's like over 50% pullback at this point. Well, I mean, it was at 135. I sold it at like 125 when I got it in the 60s, but now it's down to like 73, $74. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Hindenburg shorted, I don't even know how many shares are they short or no. Who they just put out a short report. They basically said like the company's a scam. Right. And then Kathy Wood ended up buying, what was it like? $40 million worth of shares. Yeah, she's um, that shit up. So a lot of people started buying because they're like, oh, Kathy Wood's buying, but Kathy Wood, uh, like, she tends to average down on a lot of her buys. So a lot of the buys that she makes in large quantities aren't always the low, and then she'll average down. So I don't know if following her was the best thing, but she's done well the last year, so. Yeah, I mean, she definitely was, like, the best fund manager, or at least the most notorious, like, publicized fund manager of 2020 absolutely killed it um tech as a whole has not been as strong in 2021 and her focus is always on these innovative technologies of the future so she's super heavy into tech into like crypto shit like that space um so yeah I, i guess her portfolio performance this year is not as like high but she is super into the concept of deflationary uh technologies which is her big thing which is important right now. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's kind of funny if you think about, like, yeah, tech is deflationary. I remember back in, like, you know, when the HDTVs first came out, my parents bought an HDTV 42-inch, pretty thick, like, probably this thick, you know. Then they paid, like, over two grand for it. Now my TV in my room is 60-inch, so much thinner. It's a smart TV. I think I paid, like, 350 bucks for it. You know, deflation. The technology got better. Price went down. Um, so that's Kathy's like whole philosophy. Yeah, I mean the funny thing with a lot of these flat screen TVs, it's like, or even phones, there's all these little tiny changes that don't really matter, right? Like 5K to 4K, what is there really that much of a difference? And they end up charging like 50% more for a product that's basically the same. To me, it's just funny. Like people who buy the new iPhone every year, it's like, why? <laughs> oh yeah, I mean to that point though, like this iPhone, this is like whatever the newest one. Um, compared to the one 2007, this is like not even 10 X better. This is like a hundred X better than the one that first came out. Yeah. And it's like a good deal, you know, on the great scheme of things has a lot more storage, significantly better processing power. The software it utilizes is so much more useful. Uh, 5g connectivity, shit like that. Um, yeah. and I'm just saying on like a year to year basis though, 
like on a year-to-year basis, Apple comes out with a new version every single year. Right. Yeah. How, how much different is the iPhone 11 Pro Max to the 12? Not that, not that different. Not that different. Anyways, um, let's talk about crypto a little bit. Um, Bitcoin hit what forty thousand. Um, mm-hmm. Now it's down to thirty-five. <laughs> yeah, I retreated a little bit. I think um, crypto is on a steady down pool, and I personally, uh, I sold out of BNB one. Uh, I sold out of Matic a while ago. The only crypto I am now holding still is Ethereum. But, yeah, it's officially all out of crypto now as well. Um, crypto, the I think the um, the landscape of it is still very bright in the future, but it also needed to cool down a little bit. Yeah, it was too hot. It, it was so hot. And now with all the stablecoin hype, I mean, stable king, stable king, <laughs> stable coin. I mean, it seems to be a superior product. You're actually backed by, you know, fiat backed stable coins. So. Well, I, I would say stablecoin, I would even call it, I would call it the exact opposite of fights, more like stablecoin exposure. You know, well, you yeah. Titan, um, which is a token reward for utilizing the iron network, iron being a algorithmic based stablecoin that's supposed to be pegged one to one to the dollar. They do an algorithm based like method of maintaining the peg, but there's a huge like bank run on Titan. Went from like $60 to basically zero in under 24 hours. And iron, the stable coin that's supposed to be pegged to the dollar, one to one, dropped down to like 58 cents. Yeah. Algorithm couldn't support it. So I wouldn't even call it like a stable coin like hype. It's more like stable coin like, oh shit, these things aren't actually stable. There's a huge problem with them. All this tether uh, noise coming out now. CoffeeZilla on YouTube put out a great uh, investigative video talk about how Tether is really like kind of bullshit scam and how they used to claim they were one-to-one backed by USD. Um, but now based on disclosures, they only have 3% of their reserves in cash. Um, most of it, I think it's like 76% of it is in uh, cash equivalents referred to as commercial paper. So they weren't really backed up at all. <laughs> yeah, no, I know uh, they, they kind of, like they don't want to be audited. They always come up with like BS excuses why they can't be audited, how it's too difficult, how it's too uh, much exposure. I mean, the trust accounts in the bank uh, account that utilizes in the Bahamas. It's just a very strange uh, environment when it comes to the stable coins right now. And I think there's a lot of uh, people coming to uh, their senses and realizing, oh, this is, you know, the whole crypto market is kind of uh, balanced on the idea that Tether is actually worth $1, but in reality, people are realizing it's not. And right. I, think, I think that goes back to the point of how important it is to now be you know, fully SEC reporting and disclosing all of your financials because quite frankly, a lot of these companies end up being scams or like you were saying, they're not actually you know, backed up one-to-one to a dollar. So... <clears throat> I think it's really important to keep a lookout for that, especially now in the OTC with, you know, like you were saying, why does a company go public, right? They mm-hmm. go public to raise money, right? Right. And all these companies, when they're diluting shares, they're adding shares, they're, you know, restructuring their share structure, they're doing that to get more money. So 
I think it's becoming more and more important. And now with the SEC, like enforcing regulation on OTCs coming in September, you kind of have to change your strategy of how you're investing into these companies. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, especially within the crypto space, like it's still the Wild West. Um, regulation now is just starting to finally become um, like the ideas that are becoming more mainstream and that people are starting to call for it. People used to love crypto because it was unregulated, but now people are crashing and burning. You know, imagine yeah. putting your money in Titan. You literally went to zero. Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban's a great example of that. Yeah, no, he was one of the Titan investors as well. Um, regulation, I mean, I personally like as little regulation as possible when it comes to economics and just how people live their lives. But at the same time, there has to be consumer protections. There has to be um, assurances that you are dealing with a trusted entity. Um, and that's like the role of regular regulators. You know, think about like back in like the 1910s when uh, Upton Sinclair wrote The Jungle about the meat industry and shit when people would like fall into like a meat grinder meat, meat <laughs> grinders yeah and you're like holy crap like what are we eating you know you right. pull this beef how do you trust it how can you verify it's beef you just see at the store like all right that's beef they say it's on the bag and then was born the fda exactly so we have an organization that oversees and ensures to the public the consumer public that this is in fact what the company is selling it says it is um and again that's kind of like why i love Monty so much and I have a lot of high hopes for their staple coin is because they recognize that this is going to be the reality very soon and trying to get ahead of the game and understand that regulation is not a bad thing if anything you should embrace it because it's just going to happen why right. something that you can't beat you're not going to beat the U.S. government it's not going to happen and and also it goes back to the point of when you're investing in an OTC ticker and they're not SEC reporting you're taking a significant risk because Anything that they're doing is not being reported officially, right? Yeah. So if you're investing in a company that is reporting, then the risk becomes a lot lower. Your trust becomes a lot higher. And there, I mean, there's still a chance that the company can't work out, right? Whatever it may be, if they're not reporting, right? They are reporting. But the odds of it being a scam or whatever you want to call it is significantly less. So it goes yeah. back to risk reward. Yeah, the chance of it being blatant fraud is not as apparent, yeah. which, I mean, OTC and crypto, most of them are scams and frauds. You know, at least if it's companies SEC reporting, you're like, all right, well, at least they're actually attempting to do what they say they're doing um, mm -hmm. at the most basic level. Um, kind of back to, like, cryptocurrencies, though, and Tether, I do find it kind of funny because we have this expectation, right, that Tether is to maintain a one-to-one -one USD backing. Uh, that's what they claimed originally. They kind of uh, walked that back in recent years um, to not do it. But, you know, if you think about your bank account, the bank doesn't have a one-to-one -one backing from deposits to what they actually hold, you know? Right. But that's okay. There's a lot more regulation in the banking industry, obviously, but fractional reserve banking is kind of how economic growth has happened. Um, you know, a bank, let's just say, I don't know, let's say like Chase Bank hypothetically could have a hundred billion in deposits, but they're not holding all that cash. No. But hypothetically, if everyone wanted to deposit all their money, it would cause a bank run. Well, yeah. I mean, look, look at Robinhood, right? Whenever they had the big, uh, whenever they stopped trading, why did they stop trading? I mean, the CEO of the company said it was because they didn't have enough funds to cover all of the, uh, the volume that was coming in. So like a lot of these entities 
they really only have, I mean, unless you're like a major bank, right? Unless you're like JP Morgan or Goldman Sachs, like they have tons of cash. They always have cash. But like a Robinhood, for example, they're they're just a they're just a broker, you know. They're brokering these deals and these transactions. The amount of cash they have to actually facilitate these deals, it came out to be that it was very very little. Right. Now, whether or not you want to believe that or not, that's up to you. But I genuinely believe that they did not have a billion dollars in cash to cover these trades, right? Well, I mean, that's why they had to get an extended line of credit from Citadel. Everyone's yeah, they got like I don't even know what it was, two billion dollars or something. Yeah, but yeah. um, yeah, but back to like the point I was trying to make is like we had this expectation that Tether is supposed to have a one-to-one USD ratio at all times, but we don't have the expectation for banks. I guess banks are a lot more regulated. Tether's really not. Tether blatantly lies. Um, of course, the banks I like to think lie less. <laughs> um, yeah, but then again, why why do you invest in crypto? You invest because it's unregulated, right? More or less. Like think about black market transactions. Remember the Keystone or the pipeline? Whenever that got uh, the whole pipeline, that entire transaction was made through crypto. Why? Because it's untraceable. Then, yeah, then the federal government ended up tracing it and then ended up, you know, fining them. And yeah. It kind of makes you wonder, is it, is it truly not traceable? It seems like it might be, you know? Yeah, from what I heard, it apparently it was like user error. Um, as they just didn't like do the right protocol for the transfer, so they kind of at themselves. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if, if the federal government wants to get you, they will, they, will. they will get you. They'll find you. They, they have a lot more resources than any of us could have. But um, yeah, no, I mean, it's bad, like kind of it's like to wrap the crypto conversation, though, it's like stable coins are uh, not as stable as people assume they are. And it's kind of a come to Jesus moment where people are sort of realizing like, okay, things can actually go wrong on a product that I'm being told is one-to-one peg to USD. That's actually a possibility. Algorithmic stable coins have been failing too often. They lose their peg way too easily, it seems like. Um, so why would you do that? Uh, Tether, you know, they don't even have enough reserves. Uh, USDC, they um, they are kind of like falling into a similar path that Tether's falling into. Less shady, it seems like. It seems like they're like governed by more uh, legitimate management. But they, uh, they have like a, like, I don't say commercial paper, but they have cash equivalents that they're not disclosing. And they have attestations from third parties that they have the right amount of cash, not audits. Attestations and an audit, very different. You know, audits, uh, they, they dig in and they know what's going on. Attestation is like a one out of a scale 10 of an audit. So we're in a weird spot. Um, things are going to change, I think, in the next couple of years for sure. But uh, we're all starting to realize that stable coins are important, but they need to be regulated and changed. Regulation is coming. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, certainly is. Um, all right, Luke. So what are you looking forward to this week? What's the, uh, what's, what's going on in your life? Well, I mean, this week, um, from a stock market perspective, I mean, me and you both are both waiting for the Vamonti stablecoin release which is supposed to happen in the next two weeks before the end of June. Mm-hmm. So I think that'll be big. 
Um, as far as new ticker entries right now, I think myself and most people are a little bit leery about entry points right now, just because everything's kind of taking a hit, all the inflation concerns. It's not the best time to be trading, but there's definitely things you can still be trading. Um, I'm trying to think of what tickers I was looking to add. I mean, like we were saying earlier, I mean, I think DraftKings, Penn are all good long-term ads. Um, you can also talk about drop. That had a huge increase. I think it ran like 36% at one point this week. Bill Stocks and, and Thoughts has been, you know, and thoughts has been hammering drop into people's minds for the last i don't even know how many months and he ended up making a ton of money um that's what he's doing instead of you know the the fake furus of the world that's the thing like there's there's so many of these plays that all these guys are pumping and they run and they stop and then they drop and then they plummet and then everyone's bag holding right intended or no uh, no, but it worked out pretty well. <laughs> but like drop, for example, like now it's down like a close 60% down on Friday. Like his entry and exit points couldn't have been more perfect. And that's what experience does in the market is you find you find something that works, right? So like Bill Stocks and Thoughts, Solly, a lot of those traders, they find these low float, non-toxic, no debt penny stocks. They buy them at like a penny, sub penny, and they just wait. And they're extremely patient and eventually it pays off. You just have to have the balls basically to not sell through those ups and downs. And over the last six months, he's made a lot of money. So I think it's a good, a good learning lesson for a lot of the younger traders that patience really does pay if you're in the right tickers and you've done your research. Not chasing um, runners. Not chasing runners, not chasing the momentum plays. Cause most of these plays that people start chasing that are runners like ENF, GVSI, GGII, like, yeah, they run for a short period of time, but then they drop because all the people that were pumping it sell and all the people that were buying at the top sell to recover their losses. Company dilutes because like, oh, the share price is now a thousand. Company dilutes because they want to get more money, Humble, for example. So you really got to find the good plays that are cheap and just stay with them. And eventually you're going to make money. Yeah, you can make money day trading. You can make money chasing momentum plays sometimes, but more often than not, it's not going to pay off. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I kind of agree. You kind of just have to find strategy, stick to it, and have discipline. And that's why, you know, that's why I like talking to Bill and Sully and those guys. Um, just so much discipline. And, you know, they are like, you know, we're like students of theirs, just follow their ways and understand that they've been in the game longer and they are more successful. So you should start emulating them. Well, yeah. Um, it's like, it's like one thing I heard. It's like smart people follow smart people. Right. And a lot of us, I think sometimes you kind of get this ego with trading, right. You think, you know, more than everyone else. And honestly, even the best traders, they're learning every day. They're always learning. So to be naive enough to think that, you know, everything, it's just not the case. And the truth. Um, so we're almost at time. One thing I did want to talk about before we uh, signed off, though. Um, gold has actually been taking a bit of a dive recently. And you think in a world where inflation is going up, gold would go up as well. But uh, it seems to not be the case yet. There's a bit of a disconnect there. Um, 
I just kind of wonder what your thoughts on that are. Well, I think my thought on gold is there's so many other now in today's market, other things that you can invest in that are hedging against inflation that aren't just gold, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people aren't putting their money in gold because one, generally you're not getting a lot of returns because it's generally stable. So a lot of people are investing in crypto, right? They're investing in stablecoin projects and they're investing in the brokerages like Coinbase or whatever you want to call them that are transacting these deals. So I think a lot of the money that used to be going into gold and silver and these other, you know, these other commodities are, it's a lot less than what they used to be. Beyond that, I don't really know why it dropped so much this week. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I saw something, apparently there's like, uh, people are assuming there's like an options expiration coming up. So like um, a lot of what people I hear say, they say like gold is very manipulated by like paper gold, as in the gold is actually being traded. There's a lot more being traded than there actually is physically gold available. Um, so it's a pretty manipulated market and also controlled heavily by the banks. Um, right. They don't want to pay out the you know, options and actually deliver the gold that people have when they expire in the money and things like that. But yeah. yeah, I think to your point, like you said, like there's other places to invest that actually generate a yield. Yeah, I mean, I saw a thing from Bank of America. They said that the physical demand for gold and other like precious metals just isn't isn't where it used to be. Like, I think it's as simple as that. There's just there's other things you can be investing in now that yield higher returns that are, you know, not not that risky. So why why invest in gold? It is funny though, like you said, like when we talk about commodities, I don't even know if you consider gold a commodity or what i think it's kind of a weird place in the market mm-hmm. and it categorizes like an interesting thing like lumber way up corn way up soybeans way up copper way up um all these definitely considered commodities are way up gold down um this week pretty aggressive it hasn't really broken through 2000 since 2020 i think back in the summer um so yeah, it's in a weird spot. I really don't know. I don't know if it's even worth buying, to be honest. Our friend Bill, not Bill Stocks and Bonds, Bill, uh, Bill C, Billy C, Carlinito. Um, he he's into gold as well. He he's very uh, big on it right now. Um, not like aggressively crazy big. He's like you know allocate five percent of your portfolio towards it. That's quite um, smart. I mean, but is it like we're we're just saying how like gold is not worth buying? Well, you're not going to get a high returns, but you're not going to lose a ton of money. I mean, think about gold, like you were saying, like it's not a commodity, really. I mean, maybe it is, but it's it's not a currency. It's just, it's essentially just an asset, right? So if there's not demand for an asset, then supply and demand, you know, the price is going to go down, right? Yeah, no, exactly. But it's just, it's funny, like you're always told high inflation, gold goes up, right? It's, head- it's hot now. But that's not happening. So definitely a disconnect. Um, interested to see where gold goes throughout the summer, though, um, as inflation data comes in continuously over month over month. Um, right. And it will be good to see. But that's more than 30 minutes we've done, Luke. Um, I know we're trying to keep these short and sweet for the people. Keep people entertained. <laughs> yeah, I wonder how much entertainment there was in this one. 
Well, <laughs> you, you can learn something, I guess, hopefully. But yeah, uh, I just had a conversation about like the macro trends of things and just kind of what our thoughts are personally. The interviews are good because we learn a lot. I love doing the interviews. Um, yeah, we have we have an exciting interview coming up next week, hopefully. Um, we will drop the name on Twitter soon. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. Yep. Can't wait. Enjoy uh, the rest of your week and everyone. I guess you're going to see this on Sunday night, so the weekend's over. Enjoy your week and good luck trading. Same to you. Thank you, everyone, for watching, and let's have a good trading week. Thank you.